listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, visit my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number, 757-774-8482. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building, repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, guitar opinions. With me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Melissa. Uh, every week we take your questions. <laughs> Did I catch you off guard there? <laughs> hey, we're doing a podcast tonight. Well, you normally say wife and co-host. But tonight you just said co-host, so is there something you need to tell me? I'm just mixing it up. Well, it seems like forever since we did a show, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Long time. I hope everybody enjoyed the uh, guitar horror stories, the special guitar horror stories episode. Was it scary? Yeah, you know. Anyhow, every week we take questions. She reads them. I try to answer them. I do my best. Uh, we've got a lot of good questions, some follow-ups on uh, a, a fellow with a giant hat, if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, some questions about a, a found 1941 Martin D28. Oh, that man. sounds... Can I find it? I wish. Will somebody hide it so I you can know, find I it? You know, I have dreams of... I go to. I do a lot of thrift store shopping and estate sales and yard sales. You know how many guitars I find? Almost none. Someday we're yeah. gonna we're, we'll retire on the the proceeds. I, I mean, of it. I find a few. I buy maybe a couple a year, but they're never they're never a pre-war Martin. Anyhow, um, questions about guitar hangers. Questions about guitar books. Questions about uh, all, all kinds of things. Uh, Japanese PAF clone. A lot of good questions. What do you say? Well, let's, let's let's just get right into it here. We don't have any calls. Let's just do some uh, some questions. Letters. Shall we? Let's go. Okay. We get letters. We get stacks of letters. Dear Eric, my grandmother is a home shopping network addict, and years wow. ago she purchased one of the worst acoustic guitars in the world, endorsed by the clown in the big white hat. Oh yeah. Who shall remain nameless. Apparently, it took her around 10 years to realize she has no use for it, and then I am the only person she knows that plays guitar, but in any case, it's mine now. And as everybody knows, those only get better with age. My question, so this grandmother didn't know anyone who played guitar, didn't play guitar herself, yet she ordered a guitar? That's how convincing that infomercial is. People who don't even play guitar. In fact, that's who it's marketed to. Right. People who just don't even have any use for a guitar. Which is perfect because those guitars are completely useless. 
It's really a match made in heaven. <laughs> Guitars that don't play for people who can't play them. That should be their new tagline. It has significant fret sprout, and the action is a bit high, but otherwise seems somewhat playable. Do you think it is worth keeping this as to... Oh, I said it. Uh, guitar around to practice some basic repairs and maintenance on? Or should I just use it to start a lustrous fire? Thanks for the great podcast, Alan in Chicago, Illinois. Thanks, Alan. I have found the best thing to do with those is if you raise the nut up and the saddle, if you raise the nut and the saddle up really high, you can slip a decent guitar under the strings. You've used that joke before on the show. <laughs> Sorry to railroad your joke. Thanks, Alan. No, I don't know. Uh, sure, keep it. I mean, what are you going to do? It's don't You can't sell it. Here's the deal. I would say burn it, but... The chemicals that, that that would create in the fire from the burning Asian finish would be poisonous. So it's not even firewood. Well, practice neck resets on it or yeah, something. Yeah, no, he says, here's what he says, listen. It has significant fret sprout, and the action's a bit high, but otherwise seems somewhat playable. Hey, there you go. Play it. Um, I'm just clowning around, you know. I'm sure it's a. I'm sure it's fine. Just you know, for a for a just a beater guitar, absolutely. File down the uh, the sharp fret edges and lower the action, and learn some learn your favorite Esteban songs. Oh, I'm sorry, there aren't any. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. <laughs> While going through her father's estate, long story, a friend of mine came across an old guitar. Knowing a little something about such things, she asked me to come over and take a look at it. It turns out it's a 1941 Martin D28 in an S&S &S case. I played it, and it turns out it is everything they say pre-war Martins are, loud, bright, as well as warm and rich, and did I say loud? <laughs> and there's no telling how old the strings are. Aside from some small, short top cracks and small finish issues, it is in very good shape. It's in borderline neck reset territory. It plays very well, but the saddle is down to zero. My question is, where should they take it to have it professionally evaluated and appraised? I mentioned Groon for online appraisal. They are willing to drive it to California <coughs> from Arizona if required. Any other ideas? Thanks, Peter. Peter and I uh, had a bit of back and forth and through the email there, but uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to include this question in the podcast because it's uh, it's just awesome to hear that a guitar like that is they still show up. Can I ask? They're you still a question? being found. Yes. Why is it a pre-war Martin if it's a 1941? Because that's during the war. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's kind of it's kind of a confusing term because. Generally, that would include the wartime years, pre-war. Pre oh. They made a bunch of changes in, like, <clears throat> I think, 44. They went to a... They stopped using scalloped braces. And I think that's generally what people are talking about when they say pre-war Martin is that it has it has scalloped braces, generally. 
Um, but yeah, 41 would be technically, I guess, a pre-war Martin. Although I think, did Pearl Harbor happen in December of 41 or 40? Well, the war was going on. It just, we weren't involved. Right. But America is the only one that matters. So. Oh, is that, <laughs> is that right? Uh, anyhow, <clears throat> um, thanks for, for submitting the question, Peter. I, uh, I talked with Peter, like I said, a little bit back and forth through email. Um, a lot of guitar dealers, and I, I talked to Peter, and he he does want to sell this guitar. They they Peter doesn't own it; it's a friend of Peter's, and they do want to sell this guitar, but they want to get it evaluated and fixed up first, and they want to make sure that they're getting the most, you know, uh, as much as they can out of it. Um, but a lot of vintage guitar dealers, and that's really the way to go, I think, with a guitar like that. I mean, this guitar is worth, you know, in excess of $50,000 if if it is what you say it is. And so a guitar like that really should be, it's it's not something you can just throw up on eBay. It really should be handled through a reputable dealer. Um, and uh, a lot of dealers will actually... Um, come to you to check out a guitar that valuable. I know that my former employer, Emerald City Guitars, uh, does that frequently. So, uh, and they're fair, man. They really, you know, if, if, if you're thinking about going through a dealer, give Emerald City Guitars a call because a guitar like that, they might just drop the dime to fly out to the guitar uh, if it means that they might be able to sell it for you, because, um, you know, that's a high dollar guitar and it's the kind of guitar that needs to be, uh, if you're going to have the neck reset done on it, it needs to be done properly and by, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing because a botched neck reset or a bad repair on that guitar could cost thousands and thousands of dollars in the value of the guitar. So anyway, Send it to me. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Eric and Melissa, I wonder if there's any long-term effects leaving a guitar on a wall hanger. Would it put undue stress on a Gibson-style guitar with a set neck? It also seems Gibson-style guitars frequently break at the headstock right where it would be handling. Just curious. Thanks for all the great info you share with us. Zach. Thanks, Zach. Uh, you know, I've thought about that. There's really two issues with a guitar hanger. One is um, the tension that it puts on the neck. And uh, I don't think that that's an issue because they're under a lot of tension from the strings. They're under way more tension from the strings than they are from the hanger. So I don't think it's going to affect, like, you know, the straightness of a guitar neck long term. I, I don't think that it's a problem. The problem that I've seen most of the time from guitar hangers is most guitar hangers are made out of rubber. They're the little the little cradle that grabs the headstock has a rubber cover. And some guitars the finish reacts with that rubber and you end up with two little eaten away marks in the finish from where it was resting in the guitar hanger. So the main thing to look out for, and I've seen it with guitar stands too, uh, make sure that your uh, uh, 
your finish is compatible with the guitar hanger. They sell little covers, little fuzzy yeah. fabric covers that go over guitar wall hangers. And I like those because it's kind of softer, kind of better for your finish. So the rubber reacts chemically with the lacquer or it what? It can. I've seen it happen. That's crazy. Yeah. It's just really certain types of paint and a really cheap guitar hanger. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And you end up with, it's. it looks like it's melted. It'll look like it's melted. Wow. And I've seen it a lot on, you see it with guitar stands, you know, the little cradle that it, that the body sits on and then the, the thing that cradles the neck, those are covered with rubber. And uh, for a while there, I was seeing really cheap guitar stands that you would, you know, if your guitar was polyurethane, no worries. But any kind of lacquer, it would adversely react to it, and you'd end up with crazy, like, look like burned melt marks, melted marks on your lacquer. So is that over any period of time, or a short period of time, or? It happens pretty quick. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and what about the uh, frequent break at the headstock, right, where it would be hanging from a Gibson? Yeah, I don't, again, they're, the neck and the headstock are under way more tension from the strings than it would be from from the guitar being hung there. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't think, I don't think there's any long-term effects to worry about with a guitar wall hanger, except for finish marks. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, Zach. You mentioned that you collect old guitar repair books in your interview with Chelsea Clark. Can you please tell us the titles and authors of those books? James yeah. in the UK. Sure, James. I'd love to. I rounded them all up just for you. Uh, let me grab them. Hold on just a second. Tell a joke, Melissa. Um, it's, it's, why did the chicken cross the road? You're fired. Okay. Complete Guitar Repair. This is a great book by Hideo Kamimoto. Complete Guitar Repair. And uh, it's, I think it was published in the 70s. Let me look. 1975 by Oak Publications. And... Uh, it looks like it's strictly acoustic. Uh, yeah, I think that there's a little bit about electric guitars in here. Uh, you know, here's schematics in the back. Oh, okay. And, uh, but he mentions neck resets. It's one of the earliest books I see, I've seen that, to mention neck resets. Um, it's a it's a cool guitar or a cool book. I always say guitar when I mean to say something else. Complete Guitar Repair by Hideo Kamimoto. K A M I M O T O by Oak Publications. That's number one. Number two, the acoustic guitar adjustment, care, maintenance, and repair by Don E. Teeter. T-E-E-T-E-R. This is a, a book we've talked about a little bit on recent shows. This is a great book. A lot of pictures. A lot of good information. It's put out by the University of Oklahoma Press. And it was released in... Let me look. 1975. Same year as Hideo Kamimoto's book. It also talks about neck resets, although... In a, in, a, in a way that we don't do them anymore. Another great book, 
Guitar Repair, a manual for repair of guitars and fretted instruments by Irving Sloan. I like this book a lot as well. 1973. I think it's the earliest book I have about that. 1973, published by Clark, Irwin, and Company uh, in Canada. Yeah. That's a great book. I like that one. This is a strange book, An Introduction to Scientific Guitar Design by Donald Brosnack. He goes into... He goes into science here that you wouldn't believe. It's really a far-out book. I mean, this guy is far out. You you might enjoy it. It's it's going to be dry if you're looking for just meat and potatoes, you know, guitar tech stuff. This is more theory and sound waves and craziness. There's a chapter on holographic interferometry. Interferometry. What does that even mean? (laughs) Well, read the book. First printing, May 1978, by Donald Brosnack. It is published by The Bold Strummer, an introduction to scientific guitar design. That's a crazy book. Here's a more recent one, Guitar Tube Amp. No, Great Tube Amp and Guitar Mods. Over 50 useful modifications for Fender and Marshall amps and the guitar. Hmm. Also includes speaker cabinet and equipment tips for the musician who wishes to customize by Mike Thompson. This was published in 1995 by the Bold Strummer. Here's a more recent one as well. Customizing Your Electric Guitar. A Comprehensive Guide by Adrian Leg. Easy-to-follow diagrams and step-by-step instructions tells you all you need to know to turn your guitar into a unique and personal instrument. This is uh, published by AMSCO. A-M-S-C-O. AMSCO Publications. Customizing Your Electric Guitar by Adrian Leg. This, I think, is also... Uh, oh, 1981. Yeah. 1981. And I think I bought this book not long after that. I've had this book for a long time. That's a cool one. Here's a good one that's just kind of a good meat and potatoes. The Complete Guide to Guitar and Amp Maintenance, a practical manual for every guitar player by Richie Fliegler. This was put out by Hal Leonard. And, uh, 1994, that to me seems like a real recent book. It's not like these 70s ones, but yeah, it's a good book. A lot of pictures, a lot of information, schematics. The Complete Guide to Guitar and Amp Maintenance by Richie Fliegler. And then I have to mention this one just because it's really not a repair manual, but It's such a great book to have the guitar identification book, a reference for dating guitars made by Fender, Gibson, Gretchen, Martin by A.R. Duchossois. And uh, it's a Hal Leonard book. What's the author's name? A.R. Duchossois. Duchossois. D-U-C-H-O-S-S-O-I-R. 
1983 was the first edition. Uh, I think that this is the this one's the fourth edition, so it's an updated one. If you're going to buy this book, get the latest copy because uh, they've added a lot over the years. Guitar Identification, a reference for dating guitars made by Fender Gibson, Gretchen Martin, by A.R. Duchossois. And another book that he wrote that I just have to mention is The Fender Telecaster, The Detailed Story of America's Senior Solid Body Electric Guitar by the same author. Uh, it's also a Hal Leonard book, I believe. Yep, it is. And uh, I think that came out in about 1990. Let me look. Uh, 1991. Great book. If you're a Telecaster fanatic like I am, that's a great book. So those are some of the guitars, the guitar books that I collect. And uh, yeah, you might like to check some of those out. I've seen some of the older ones. I see them from time to time. You know, they show up there. There's still copies floating around on Amazon and things. You can get them at used bookstores. So yeah, check those out. Thanks for your question, James. Howdy there, Mr. Eric and the lovely Melissa. I am always admiring the tones of other guitar players. Lately, I have found myself really intrigued by the tone Vince Gill gets on Go Rest High on That Mountain and Whenever You Come Around, to name a few examples. I know Vince mainly plays a telly as his main guitar. However, I seem to get closest to this sound with a Strat. Can you tell what he's using? If it is the former, does he wire out of phase? One more thing, when drilling holes in a string through tele, string through telly style body to accept the string ferrules, how do you achieve perfectly straight line of holes? Hmm. I hope you understand what I am asking. Thanks again for the awesome podcast. I listen religiously. Thanks again, Jeff. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're asking. His first question is, he's intrigued by the tone Vince Gill gets. On this song, let's check it out. He's using a lot of compression. I can tell you that right away. Let's skip ahead. See if there's a uh, see if there's a guitar solo here. Shall we? Well, that's a violin. <laughs> Uh, I don't see anybody playing uh, guitar here for the rest of this. Maybe did I miss the guitar solo? Yeah, maybe he's just talking about this, this, uh, guitar tone here. It just sounds to me, it sounds like a Strat going through a really clean amp with a lot of compression. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, and then there's another song, Whenever You Come Around. Do you want to do the same thing with that one? Oh, I thought he was, I thought that was the rest of the, t- <laughs> the name of the, uh, sorry. <laughs> I thought the name of the song was, Go Rest High on That Mountain and Whenever You Come Around. <laughs> All right, yeah, let me find that one. It's um, like, go tell it on the mountain. Whenever, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I see I wasn't prepared. Hold on. I don't have any more jokes. You didn't have any the first time. I tell you jokes. Don't you remember them? No. Okay. Here we go. Little intro here. I'm not hearing any guitar. Yeah, again. So, uh, there's. Same deal. Nice tone. It reminds me a lot of um, David Gilmore's tone. But yeah, a lot of compression. He's using a compressor pedal and uh, just sounds like a real clean amp and a Fender Strat and a compressor pedal. That's what I'm hearing. So um, yeah, cool. Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't sound out of phase. Um, it sounds like a it sounds like he's using one of the in-between settings on his switch, you know, two pickups together, either the bridge and middle or the neck and middle, probably the neck and middle pickups together and a compressor pedal. That's what it sounds like to me. When drilling holes in a string through telly body to accept the string ferrules, how do you achieve a perfectly straight line of holes? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I do it with a template and a drill press. So um, what I'll do is uh, I've got a template that has the, uh, has the holes. You know, it's a thick plexiglass template with the, uh, the route for the pickup in a telly. And then the holes, uh, the mounting holes for the bridge and also the holes that the strings go through. So um, what I do is uh, I'll drill the outermost holes. Uh, well, what I'll, <clears throat> what I'll do is I'll, I'll secure my template. Well, I really have to think about it. You know, it's funny when I go to do this in my shop, I just do it. I never have to explain it to somebody. Right. You know? So right. it's kind of interesting. Anyway, the way that I do it is I drill the holes using the template, and then, uh, and those are just little holes. And then uh, to get the, uh, the holes right on the other side, you flip it over, and uh, you can, uh, I've got a template to line them up on the back, and then you use a drill press and drill them. Through, through the back. Are these templates something that you've bought or something that you've made? Uh, they're templates I've had for years. I can't remember where I got them. I think I got them through Stuart McDonald, but I don't recall. Uh, I know Stuart McDonald carries them, so yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's how I do it, though, is with a template, a thick plexiglass, you know, template, and a drill press. Cool. Thanks for your question, Jeff. Eric and Melissa, I really enjoy the alternating formats because each week is a new surprise. 
I recently purchased a pair of vintage 1980s Japanese PAF clones off eBay. One of the pickup's brace base plate legs was bent in and slightly twisted during shipping. How do I get the leg back to its original L bracket shape? Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce uh, sent me a picture of said pickup, and uh, it was a little bit mangled there. One of the mounting legs was kind of, uh, you know, mangled. But, um, yeah, the way to do that is just going to be just to bend it back with with some needle-nose pliers. Um, it doesn't look too terribly bent. He sent me a picture. And, uh, so I wouldn't worry too much about it breaking. If it was really bent, you might want to heat up the metal first with a soldering iron. Hot metal is less likely to, uh, to break. And it's more malleable. So, yeah, just straighten it out with some, some needle-nose pliers. It, it's, the nice thing about this that bracket is going to be completely hidden once the pickup is installed in the guitar. So as long as you just kind of get it close to where it needs to be, it doesn't need to be exactly perfect perpendicular, you know. Um, as long as the screw passes through uh, either, you know, the pit guard or the, or the mounting ring and goes to the bracket uh, in a linear fashion, then you're fine. It should be fine. Thanks, Bruce. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I recently bought a Martin D1220 that has been taken apart for a neck reset. The guitar's finish has been stripped and the bridge has been removed. Also, there isn't a truss rod, just a metal reinforced neck. The previous owner of the guitar bought it in the same condition as me and never got around to doing anything with it, so I'm guessing the guitar has been sitting like this for nearly 20 years. I would think that at some point the guitar had a belly bow, but since it's been sitting so long, it has relaxed to a fairly f- to fairly flat again, so I'm not sure if I should make any relief in the heel joint or not. Or not. Is there a good way to simulate string tension before resetting the neck? Also, since the neck has no binding, would removing the fretboard and installing a truss rod be a good idea? Any advice would be great. I really enjoy the podcast. Thanks, guys. Rylan in Albert, Alberta, Canada. Alberta. You never heard of Alberta? Uh, Come on now. Um, man, that guitar needs a lot of work. So the uh, I'm just going to pretend like um, uh, I'm just going to pretend like uh, you. How, how can I put this? I'm going to start with the absolute basics here. Okay. Uh, you say it doesn't have a bridge, I think. Isn't that what it said? Let me look. The bridge has been removed. Yes, the bridge has been removed. So, the first thing you're going to want to do is put a bridge on it. Because trying to set the neck without a bridge on it is really, really difficult. Um, It would be best to put a bridge on there first. I assume you're going to finish the guitar as well. I don't know at what point you want to finish it. Probably, you know, I would finish... What I would do is uh, put a bridge on it, then paint the neck and body, and then assemble it. So, um, that's what I would do. So, you want to put your bridge on, and then whether you're going to paint it or not, once you go to set the neck, uh, you can put a... uh, They make a little clamp that has... It it has a uh, center, and then it has 
two threaded screws coming out either side of the center. One of them is reverse thread. And so when you twist it, it's like a little scissor jack that is used to glue loose braces. And what I would do is put one right in the middle of the guitar under the bridge to simulate the pull of the strings against the bridge. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to gauge exactly how much to put on there, but it's a 12 string and it's probably going to pull quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, I would put a, uh, a jack in, in the middle under the bridge plate and raise, you know, put a belly in the top and then set the neck to that. Once the bridge is on and all of that jazz so that you know where your neck kind of needs to be, um, that's going to give you the best shot at doing this once and doing it right. That's that's my opinion. That's the way I would do it. Uh, was did I did I address all of his questions? Uh, I think so. Since the neck has no binding, would re, be would removing the oh. fingerboard and installing a truss rod be a good idea? <clears throat> you could if it's if it's straight or has just a slight back bow. Uh, I'd be tempted to leave it how it is. You know, sounds like it's a vintage Martin, because if it doesn't have a truss rod, it's pre-85. So maybe it's a 70s Martin. I don't know. I don't know what year it is. Uh, I would, uh, I'd get the guitar back together and, and get it, try to get it playing before I, uh, before I'd pull the fingerboard and, and try putting a truss rod in it. Because, you know, you can make those necks behave. You might you might have to heat press it to get it straight if it has too much relief. But uh, uh, there is some there is a school of thought that people believe, and I don't know if this is really true or not. I kind of don't buy it, but a lot of people believe that uh, uh, those guitars with the uh, just the metal. Uh, uh, reinforcement rod have better tone. I don't know. I don't really think so, but it's possible. Anyway, that's my thoughts on it, Rylan. Thanks for the question. Should we do a uh, a break? Sure. Let's do a quick break. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey guys, it's Eric. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I've been repairing guitars for a long time, building guitars too. Uh, if you've got a guitar that you need help with, I really, I would love to help you. I take repairs from all over the country. Sometimes a guitar is really special and, and you really are careful about who you take it to. If you don't have a person that you can really rely on in your area, I would love to help you out. It's really easy to ship a guitar these days. I do it all the time. It's nothing to worry about. You can insure it. Uh, ship it to me. Maybe you've got a repair that needs to be done. Maybe you've got a, a pickup that needs to be rewound. Get in touch with me and uh, we can talk about it. You can send me some pictures of it. We can see what I can do for you. Maybe I can give you a quote on how much it would be to repair your guitar if you send me some pictures. So let me know. I would love to help you. This is what I do. This is what I specialize in. I repair guitars. I kind of specialize in, in vintage Fender restorations, but I do all kinds of work. Finishes and 
pickups and electronics and neck resets, broken headstocks, you name it. I would love to help you. So get a hold of me. You can do so through my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And I look forward to helping you. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. CO-leather.com. Howdy, folks. A couple of questions for you. I'm trying to reduce the belly on, on, a, on the soundboard of a ladder-braced Gibson. I thought it was the bridge plate, but it was o- that was only partially right. It's also the brace directly behind the bridge plate that has developed some serious upward bowing. I'm kind of scratching my head on how I could get it flat, or at least better. I've taken the back off the guitar to make things easier to do. What would a seasoned vet like yourself do, Eric? By the way, the bridge plate is totally toast, and even though I've got the bridge plate repair toolkit from Stumac, I think I should replace it. It looks like it's cedar. In fact, the soundboard also looks like cedar. Could it be cedar? What's your general take on removing the bridge plate on a vintage guitar? I hear it's a big no-no. Thanks for your input. All the best. Dean from Bo. Thanks, Dean. Hey, I found out where Bo is. Oh, yeah, I was just wondering. It's in Washington. Oh, okay. Bo Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean, I'll tell you what, man. Um, those ladder-braced Gibsons aren't, aren't particularly super valuable. So replacing the bridge plate, uh, you know, <clears throat> especially if the bridge plate is toast, I say go for it. Because it sounds like it's got one of those, it's just a thin strip bridge plate. I've seen those before. It's it's really not much of a bridge plate. And uh, could it be cedar? I don't know. The best the best way to tell, I, I really don't think that it would have a cedar bridge plate. Cedar is really soft, man. I would be really surprised if, if the top and the bridge plate were cedar. But if you want to be sure, uh, smell it. Cedar really has a really particular smell to it. Maybe scratch it with your fingernail, and and uh, it's like the guitar version of scratch and sniff. Scratch it and see if it smells like cedar. I would be really surprised if that's cedar. That cedar's just too soft of a wood to use for a for a bridge plate. Um. So yeah, you know, uh, I would say the best way to make that guitar behave is put a uh, a different bridge plate in there. Uh, a little more substantial one, you know, not not thicker, but one that takes up more real estate. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, and uh, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. I honest, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have taken off the back probably, but you know, it's cool to do that. Makes it easier to work on the insides. Yeah. What about the the uh, brace that's bowing? Well. Um, Yeah. Putting a uh putting a a bigger uh bridge plate in there is gonna help tame that okay. is my thought. If it doesn't you might have to you might have to do some other things to it. Um 
they make Stuart McDonald sells something called a Thompson belly reducer. You might look into that. It's a uh, it's a little doohickey that you basically you heat it up. You heat up this thing and stick it in there and it it helps flatten the top if it has too much belly in it. Huh. Yeah. So you might look into that. Interesting. Yeah. There you go. Thanks, Dean. Why don't the holes in the tremolo line up with the holes in the backplate on a lot of strats? Is it that hard to line them up at the factory? It drives me crazy. <laughs> Thanks for the podcast, Jen. Thanks, Jen. I think what you're talking about is, um, you know, there's a few different ways to set a, tr a strat tremolo. And it seems like most players, I don't know about most, but maybe the majority, like their tremolo, their strat tremolo set up so that it's flush against the top instead of floating like it's designed to be. It's designed to be floating just a little bit. It's supposed to sit up off the top of the guitar at an angle. And when you've got it set like it's supposed to be from the factory, the holes do line up. It's just when you when you deck the bridge flat against the body, the vintage-style tremolo, the, the holes no longer line up. So, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It, it drives me kind of nuts, too, because if you've got a decked strat trim and you've got your rear cover plate on, and you just all you want to do is change strings, they're real hard to get out without taking off the tremolo cover. So I I hear you. Could you just lift the uh, the tremolo up just a tiny bit and wiggle the string in as you're doing that? Yeah, in and out. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just tricky. It's just tricky. Yeah, that's annoying. Thanks, Jen. Why do they call the Dan Electro Bridge the four-way adjustable bridge? It seems to me that it only has one adjustment for intonation. You seem to be a Dano nut, so I thought you might know. Also, is there a better option for a bridge upgrade? Jerry Jones used to make a good one, but he's gone out of business, as I'm sure you know. Thanks, JT in Vermont. Thanks, JT. Sounds like you're talking about the old-style Dan Electro Bridge that has the rosewood saddle on it. And you're right, it does only have one adjustment for intonation. They do, they, yeah, it is called, that's called the, it's called the four-way adjustable bridge. And I think what they mean is there's the saddle and then there's three screws that hold it to the body. So technically there's four adjustments, <laughs> three screws and and the saddle really kind of uh tricky marketing because there's not much adjustment to be done on those bridges i know i know so i now i hear you um they make a modern upgrade just the 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 bridge that comes on those modern korean whatever uh reissued and electros is not bad it's not bad it's intonatable and it's direct replacement and uh it has more adjustment than the old style bridge. I like those old Dan Electro bridges with the rosewood thing. They're kind of cool. And uh, uh, one thing that I used to do to them was take that rosewood bit out and then 
sand it so that um, it intonates properly. So make a slight angle on half of it, and then an indentation, and then another angle on the other half so that so that it intonates properly, you know, so that it kind of follows the line of of what the intonation should look like. So that's one thing to do. But uh, you might want to make a, a reproduction saddle to do that rather than <clears throat> rather than modify your vintage one. Anyway, that's what I do with them. Can you give us your expert opinion on the best way to string a guitar? I've seen quite a few gimmicks as far as how we wrap the strings around the posts and different ways to lock them in. I personally just make sure the string has three to five good wraps around the post and don't lock it in any way. What do you think? What are some bad habits you see? Thanks. Scott from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Thanks, Scott. I do see a lot of bad stringing habits. Um, uh, my, the one I hate the worst is when somebody just tries to wind the entire string on onto the peg. Ugh. That's, that's awful. Um, I also see a lot of people trying to do a fancy, like, you know, tie, twist tie onto the, onto the tuner, but it's just makes it impossible to get off, to get it off. And it's really not doing any good, uh, because it's so poorly done. So yeah, there's a couple of ways that I string there. Well, there's a really, there's a million different ways to string the guitar onto the tuner, but the two that I use the most often, I guess there's three. The ones that I use most often are if it's the fender style with the safety post, there's really only one way to string that. You stick the hole, you stick the string in the hole and, and, and uh, around the post it goes. Three or four times around is pretty good. I like about three wraps around the tuner. On a Gibson style, um, I sometimes like to, so I'll put the string through, I like to see about a hand width of excess, so I'll put my hand in the middle of the neck, and the string is going from the bridge over my hand to the nut, to the tuner, and then that way I know I'm getting about the right amount of length there to get three or so wraps around the tuner. And then <clears throat> what I like to do is put the first wrap above the string, the previous string, above the hole in the tuner, and then the remaining wraps below the hole in the tuner. So that way the string is com is coming out between two windings, and uh, that's not bad. But my favorite way to do it is with a... Uh, like a, t a twist lock, I'll bring the remaining, so I'll put this, put the string through the tuner, it goes from the bridge over my hand to the tuner, then through the hole, and then I'll take the extra string that's going past the tuner, bring it around and under the, the other part of the string, and then back over. Very hard to describe on a podcast, but maybe I'll make a video about that. I'm sure there's a million videos about that because it's really probably the most popular way I've that I see luthiers and guitar techs string guitars. Uh, just a little twist lock there. Yeah. Cool. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. I noticed that traditional Clusen tuners have a hole in them for to be oiled. Is it a good idea to oil these from time to time? What kind of oil should I use? Thanks for the great show, Wade. Cool. Thanks, Wade. Um, I almost never oil those because uh, the oil gets out and into the wood and you get this weird streaky staining on the headstock. But uh, if your tuners are kind of locked up, then you can oil them very, very sparingly sparingly with uh, just a a light oil, like three-in-one or a sewing machine oil. Just, I mean, half a drop for each tuner. Just barely put any in there. That's my opinion. Okay. Thanks, Wade. What temperature do you use to solder electronic electric guitar electronics? I've got a new soldering station with adjustable temperature control. I know you can ruin pots if you heat them up too much, but I don't want to solder cold joints either. What temp do you typically use? What soldering iron do you use? And what soldering iron do you recommend? Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Barry. Um, kind of my go-to uh, soldering iron is a is a Weller, one of those one of those Weller stations with the with the adjustable temperature. Let me see if I can find a model number for you here. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I usually. I usually solder at about 700 degrees. Uh, that's just kind of my uh, that's just kind of my default. WES51 is the Weller station that I use. Let me see if that's the right one that I'm telling you. Yeah, looks like it. Uh, nope, actually, that's not it. I use the one with the digital readout, which is. WESD51D. Uh, really a nice soldering iron. You can get it for, oh, 200 bucks or so. And uh, it's got a digital LED display, and uh, so you know exactly what temperature you've got. And um, it's built like a tank. I mean, you have, to, you have to replace the tips every now and then, of course. But... Uh, uh, they last for a long time. They're they're really that's a good soldering station. The other one that I have is a Hako H A K O, and I don't know if they make it anymore. I noticed that All Parts stopped selling them, and I don't know if that's just an All Parts thing or if they're not available anymore. Let me take a look here. Uh, yeah, it looks like they've kind of redesigned their line. I've got a I've got an old. Heiko, H-A-K-K-O. I think it's a Japanese company, but they make a decent little soldering station. Uh, considerably less expensive than the Weller, I think. You know, you can get, you could pick one up for a hundred bucks or so. And they're decent, but the Weller really is, is uh, worth the money, in my opinion. Uh, the only time I crank the temperature up above, you know, 650 or 700 is if I'm soldering onto something big and metal like the, the back of a pot or something. A lot of times you've got to get those hotter uh, because there's so much metal that it acts as a heat sink. And uh, 
a lower temperature just won't really produce a good solder joint. But just for soldering on little tiny lugs and things, 700 degrees is about where I set my iron. Cool. Thanks, Barry. I noticed that there are multiple ways to wire up a simple tone control on an electric guitar. Do they all sound different, or is it just a matter of preference? Is there a magic configuration that will give me better tone, or am I chasing dragons and tilting at windmills? From Don Q. <laughs> I didn't know that Don, Don Quixote listened Don Quixote to our... apparently listens to our podcast. Oh, that's clever, sir. My sombrero is off to you. Uh, yeah, it's all a matter of, it's all a matter of preference, really. Um, when we're talking about the different ways to, I, I assume what you're talking about is you know, like, take for example, a Telecaster. You can take and put the capacitor between, um, between the two pots, or you can put a jumper between the two pots and then put the capacitor on the back of the tone pot, or you can put the capacitor and a jumper in between the two pots. I think this is what he's talking about. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. And, uh, yeah, it is chasing tone dragons. There's no difference. It's all the same because it's just a variable resistor and a capacitor, uh, you know, wired up in, in series. So it's, there's, there's just no difference. The only difference sometimes is, um, there's, there's different ways to wire, uh, uh, a tone circuit where it will work a little bit differently with your volume control. You know, like they talk about the Gibson, the vintage Gibson tone circuit versus the modern Gibson tone circuit, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. As far as how to wire it and is there any difference in the actual tone control itself? No, it's all just personal preference and it's, uh, I don't think there's any difference there. Uh, if anybody out there disagrees with me, I'd love to hear from you. You should write in and tell me why. And that goes for anything, man. I'd love to hear uh I love to hear uh from knowledgeable folks on stuff, you know, maybe uh maybe you've got something that you can clarify a little bit uh on an issue or if you've if you ever if you ever disagree with any of my advice or theories, you should write in and tell me about it. I'd love to hear from you. That does it for this show. I really appreciate you listening. I appreciate your participation. And uh, we need more of it. So you should write in. Go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it, of course, is 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number. We'll use your voicemail or text as part of the show. And uh, can't do the show without your comments and questions, so keep them coming in. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you very much, and we'll uh, see you next week. Bye-bye.